Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their work, the lessons they've learned, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is cartoonist Julia Wirtz. We're often told in times of difficulty to never give up and to keep going. But what if quitting, as Julia did, for a moment, is the best decision you could make? Among other topics, Julia and I talk about why illustrators should take themselves, but not their work, a little less seriously. She explains why quitting isn't necessarily a bad thing. And we discuss why now is the time, especially if you feel like you're going crazy, to spend less time on social media and more time in an abandoned building. I hope you enjoy our conversation. While I was doing research for you, I n- noticed that you refer to yourself as a balatron, and it's a very interesting word. I had no idea what it meant. I had to look it up. It means you're a nonsense, slinging, self-indulgent dunce. It's a great <laughs> word. I know, but I can't pretend we didn't just talk about it, even though I'm supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> Editing's a friend. I'm going to edit that out. Uh, yeah. I. <laughs> <laughs> I might actually keep that in. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe you should. You can give people like an inside look into a podcast. Um, yeah, because we were talking about it, want... and then something technical happened. So now we're talking about it again, as if we didn't talk about it, because that's what happens in podcasting. And we're just gonna reveal, just, just pulling the curtain back is all we're doing. Yeah, and this is why I wouldn't be a good stand-up comedian because I can't repeat the exact same thing and not pretend I I didn't just do it. Like I would just laugh on stage. Um, I could do it because it's not funny, but that's my (laughs) problem. The word Balatron, I feel like, describes me very well as someone who doesn't take my work very seriously. Right. I take my career seriously, but not my work. It's hard. I can't read a scrap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's make the point, and then we'll move on to something that we didn't talk about yet. The reason I think it's funny is because, and also somewhat serious, is as a point is um, I think it's a good idea if most, if, if this, if it works for some illustrators to be serious about their work, about their career, just about everything, there's just a serious person and it works for them. Fantastic. But I do notice with the illustrators that I work with pretty much on a day-to-day basis that they, they are very serious about what it is that they're doing. And that sounds great. Like, yeah, why, why is that a problem? But they're a little too serious about it. And it's, causing anxiety it causes like apprehension they don't even know which brush to use sometimes because they're like well it's got to be this it's got to be that like they're maybe just like relax a little bit be a little less serious that might actually yeah i think uh, yeah i would stress to people if they were looking for advice about it take take the work seriously but not yourself seriously i know what you mean about the pens and people can get really like has to be this specific pen this line has to look this exact way and it's like no it doesn't like it can be messy or the anxiety thing is interesting because this is where it comes into play for me like I do a lot of public appearances when I put out a book and I'll I'll go on tour Mm -hmm. and I do get anxious before going on stage just because I'm going to be in front of a lot of people but not because I'm afraid I'm going to say something dumb or it's going to go bad because I don't care if that happens like I say dumb stuff all the time it's fine Right. And if something goes wrong and I have to improvise, 
all I'm really looking at is like a one small event where things didn't go as planned or I said something stupid. And I would be the only person that cared should that have happened. Like no one else is going to care in the audience. Correct. In the greater picture of my career and stuff, it's not going to matter. But people take things so seriously. And if anything goes wrong, if they say anything dumb and then they think about it forever and it's like nobody cares. Like only people only care about themselves and what they're doing. And mm -hmm. if they do care too much about what went wrong with your thing, then that's a weird problem that they're having. And right. it has nothing to do with me. Exactly. I can't help but think that Roz Chast is an influence of yours, or maybe Linda Berry or Mimi Pond. All, all three. <laughs> Aileen Kaminsky Crumb is another one. Yes, she was really important to me because she, her the Love That Bunch comics, they're so gross. And I was like, wow, like women can be gross and it's so funny. And then Roz Chast was hugely influential in that she has her style mm -hmm. and she stuck with it became hugely successful oh. uh, and then also she's just such a lovely person to hang out with she's 100%. so cheerful and not really at all like her comics like she has that anxiety but she's just so generous and warm and funny in real life and she's so i just i want to be her i want everything she has i want her career yeah. i want her personality her upstate new york home yeah all of it or maybe she's in connecticut yeah. she's in westchester or connecticut or someplace up there yeah but then she has uh, an apartment in New York. She's living the, yeah. the dream. On the west side, I think. Sort of where yeah, she so... grew up, maybe? I don't remember. I talked to her a while back on the podcast, and she was one of the... There's There are a few... I hate to break this to you, but you're not one of them, but there were a few guests where I just felt so nervous because it's their... Whatever. They're either their celebrity or just their careers. I just knew that like from their body of work and just from research that they were really smart. And that part, you're included. <laughs> Um, I wasn't offended till you said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that part you're included. But like the, the, it's with her especially, I just felt like she'd been – I felt really nervous because I just wanted – I didn't. I was like, please just don't, don't make a fool of yourself. You know, Don't say anything stupid. I was always worried every sentence I was going to say was she would, she would consider to be dumb. So that was a really hard um, interview. But it came um, out well. I, under so. I understand that. The first time I – met her i definitely was like fop sweating before i started talking to her but then i realized like she's just as not insecure but she has the same sort of thoughts like she doesn't walk around thinking that she's as great as we think she is right is it fair to say that her work and and linda's and mimi's and aliens like is self-deprecating a good way of describing their work yeah i think so and that's part of also not taking yourself so seriously i think all of those cartoonists do that Right. Like to some degree where the self-deprecation is being like, I, I here, here I am. I'm kind of an idiot. I hope it's funny to you. Yeah. I think the common denominator too is like they, they all share the realities, emphasis on the word realities of their lives from body negativity to struggles with mental health, et cetera. And they do it. It seems as if, I don't know if what's going on behind the scenes, but it just seems as if they do it without any curation. They just, they're like here. Here is how I feel about my body. Here is how I feel about the world. Here are the frustrations that I have to deal with personally. And I feel like you do something similar to that. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's um, the reason it's so easy to do that is it's the art form like of comics. When I found all of those women's work, like I was saying, I was it was so gross and shocking and, and not even shocking, but just to sort of like to see honestly all of their anxieties and 
phobias and insecurities put out there, like you said, sort of without a filter. But that's I think that's because it's in comic form. You can't you can do that in literature and a lot of people do, but it's harder pill to swallow when someone kind of just seems like they're complaining Right. And you're reading it on text as opposed to seeing a picture of it. Like it somehow it it jumps that barrier to be like, I'm not really saying anything, but it's somehow interesting anyways. Yeah. It's refreshing to me anyway, because I feel like it's in opposite to what folks do these days, especially on social media. I feel like we all live now these very highly curated lives and what those creators were doing was the complete opposite of it they're like yeah here here are all the mistakes here's the ugliness here's the beauty here's all of it and nowadays i just feel like especially on social media especially on instagram it's the opposite yeah i know what you're saying i actually see the the way it has turned into for a couple of for a lot of people actually it's it's almost they're taking the seed of like, I'm a mess and here's what's going on. But they present it in such a highly curated way mm -hmm. that it's almost its own. It's its own thing, this sort of like genre of mental illness on social media that I really don't. I'm This is going to like be insulting to a lot of people. But I just I see I just see it way more now, like the neuroses, but it's being presented. I don't know, like as if in just in a very different curated way, as opposed to comics where you're just like, here it is. It's kind of boring and stupid, but in here, there's no real solution. I don't know. It's it's like more simple and without maybe without consideration of a larger audience, because on social media, you're very aware that you have a larger audience and they're immediate. It's not like I'm putting this out in a book or I'm going to make a comic and then maybe I'll post it later or the book will come out in 10 years and who cares? I think the immediacy of social media has made people's messy lives a sort of glamorous thing almost. Mm hmm. Where it's like, I'm special because I'm a mess. And it's like, no, no we're all a mess. You're not special. <laughs> right. So Chast attended RISD. Pond went to the California College of the Arts. Didn't graduate. Uh, Kaminsky Crum attended Cooper. Didn't finish. I don't think Chast finished RISD either. You didn't go to art school. And I don't even have a question here. I just want to point out that fact for <laughs> folks who think art school is a necessary step to being a professional commercial artist. Yeah, I did not get an art education. I I think it's very important for some people to get an art education. I think for a lot of people who do, it might not be necessary. It wasn't necessary for me, and I do think had I gotten it, it might have been a hindrance. I talk about this a lot. I, I feel like people have heard me talk about it way too much, but the Dunning-Kruger effect of where the less you know, the more inclined you are to go for it because you don't know the rules. Mm-hmm. And that very much made my career. I didn't know what the rules were, so I just did what I wanted to and then told everybody to look at it on the internet in ways you're not supposed to do. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. And it worked out. And I think if I had known the rules and if I had known I wasn't drawing well and I cared, I would not have advanced as quickly. I would have, right. you know, fallen back and spent time trying to get better. And maybe down the line that would have been the right move. But I don't think for the type of work that I do, that it would have been the right move because I would have overthought it. I wouldn't have had as many stupid jokes. I would have tried to draw better and it would have taken away from the sort of immediacy of my work that I think helped launch it. Was there a point where you said while you were drawing in those early days, fuck it. It is what it is. Sure. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Like, or do you always, or have you always, you know, looked to improve your drawing? I mean, is that something that is even? Oh, absolutely is even... not. And that's a problem. <laughs> well, that's the point. Um, that's the point I'm trying to make. Is like, yeah, how is that a problem? It's, I've always kind of been like, I, I mean, I've had so many cartoonists who've been like, would you just sit down for like one month and learn how to draw people correctly? And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to waste a month of my life learning mm -hmm. how to do that better. <laughs> So instead, I'm just going to draw the mediocre for forever. Oh, and maybe that is that, shooting though, right? myself in the foot, but I just don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just not going to. And maybe that's part of what I'm saying, like not taking things so seriously. And maybe, yeah, I could be a more successful cartoonist, but I don't know if that would really be true. I just kind of want to do what feels true to me. Right. I don't really know if my art needs to be better and i'm sure there's people listening to this like oh my god it needs to be better please just take that month <laughs> yeah and, and that's i think like generally it's a good idea to improve whatever it is that you're doing i help illustrators with, with that very thing at the same time part of me does and we talk about this too from time to time me and illustrators but like part of me feels like don't give it as much of a shit you know don't it's okay like well that perspective is off on the on the bedside table so what yeah and usually it looks better when it's not i was recently drawing sets of my house which i put into the backgrounds of comics and i drew one um you know photo reference like very specifically to the photo reference and this actually happens a lot in tenements towers and trash the drawings were too specific to the 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 perspective and it doesn't look good it looks too extreme right. and when you just kind of draw it like eyeball it and the perspective doesn't match especially for comics that often looks a lot better. Agreed. Um, and I, that was kind of a, so sometimes I look back at tenements and I'm like, Oh wow. How could I not see how that angle just doesn't look good, but I was too deep in whatever I was doing then. Yep. So I'm never saying like, don't get better. Yeah. I'm saying just don't, it's okay to not care as much. And sometimes not caring does look better in the end. I agree. I, <laughs> so I was reading an interview, uh, Annie Koyama from Koyama press. She published some of my books and I, adore her and I she said in the interview she was talking about publishing my work and she said a lot of people make fun of Julia's style but something about I think it's great and, but I was like wait a lot of people make fun <laughs> I know of my uh, I know that's that was my question wait wait wait, wait. hold on what uh, it was like record scratch I was like oh yeah and then I say, wait a minute what <laughs> but I know what she's talking about and she it was fair because it I know <laughs> it's distinctive when I look at it I don't just and this is a positive. I look at it and I don't go like, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. When I look at your work, it it stops you a minute because you're like, well, I haven't really seen this exact approach. I don't see this often. And there <laughs> this is a remind me of one time when I had a crush on a guy and I asked him out and he said no. And I asked him why. And he said, well, you're very specific. <laughs> and like that was his answer. And I was like, oh, OK, OK. <laughs> I, I'm like, okay, that's good. Specifically terrible. Yeah, I know. Uh, okay. It, like all kidding aside, it, it, it's a good idea to get better, always get better. It's healthy. It's whatever. Yeah. But at some point yeah, you have to kind of trust that your own hand ground. is fine. Right. This is where I think um, drawing on tablets has really messed a lot of people up because it's so easy to draw a line and erase it and draw a line and erase it and draw a line and erase it ad infinium. When it's on paper, some, eventually you're like, I, I can't erase it anymore because the paper's crappy. <laughs> so the next line is the real line, and then you move on. Oh, my God, Julia. Thank you for saying that. 
I, this is, uh, I've been thinking about this since the, since really like since Procreate and since like the program started coming out with this feature where you can draw like a crappy circle and then it makes a perfect circle for you as you're finishing the circle. No. Or like you no. draw a crappy line and it straightens it for you or whatever. And it's like, look what you can do now. No, that's look what your computer can do. Thank you. Yeah, no, I I I can't stand when people do that. I mean, obviously that the very specific lines like Chris Ware, you know, the, the super straight lines, circles, that's his style, works, looks great. Right. But if that's not your style and you're just trying to draw a comic and you're laboring over this part, don't who cares? Just like draw the line and, and get get on with your life. <laughs> <laughs> I read that you uh you sort of credit your first steps in publishing to working the alternative comic convention circuit. Yeah, like I printed zines. Um, we'll see. I was working at coffee shops and restaurants, and I would draw my comics like on the back of ordering slips, like bagels and whatever, drink orders and stuff. And mm -hmm. then I would take those to Kinko's. There used to be like a little cheat thing you do if you left the card in and then whipped it out early and then you make the zines, and then you don't pay for them, which I don't recommend doing, um, except it's whatever, King, King Kong's or Staples. <laughs> and then take those zines and would bring them to Ape in San Francisco. Let's see what else. SPX in Baltimore. Hey, Baltimore. Those are the two big ones. Or not Baltimore, Bethesda. Those are the two big Same. ones at first. And then just give people my zines and that's sort of what we all did even before anyone had actual books. So it was like there was this, it seemed like there was a special few years in comics where everyone, all anyone had was zines and maybe a handful of uh, floppy books. Right. Um, and people still do that. I mean, I think they do that. Sure. I, mean, I mean, I know they do it. I just have aged out of the scene. And zines have become a huge thing again. I don't really know if they ever went away. Were you able to afford the, like, I mean, that takes money to a, get there, attend, table, produce product i mean that takes a lot of money and time were you able to afford all that through coffee shops and restaurants yeah i worked really hard when i worked in restaurants like i would work double shifts i had good waitressing gigs with high tips that i did not pay taxes on nice so i squirreled away enough money to be able to do those things the way we did them were not expensive like i said i stole all of my copies from kinko's you know, we'd carpool from New York down to Bethesda with like five people. I rode down in a trunk once. You know, it's like it's not <laughs> like I was buying plane tickets and flying all the way to Bethesda. And Ape was in San Francisco and I rode my bike there. From New York. <laughs> yeah. I lived like a, yeah, when the first Ape I went to. In it was downhill the entire time, so it wasn't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, it, was, it wasn't, the way we all did it was not expensive. I see that you refer to yourself as an auto bio cartoonist. Do you just not like the word memoirist? So I, I was under the mistaken impression for a long time that memoir, you really only put out one. Like, this is my memoir, my whole life story, right. um, which I've since learned is not the way people use it. Most other cartoonists who do autobiography also just say auto bio. And I feel like that's more fitting when it's an ongoing thing and you just keep making comics about yourself because at no point am I going to be like, this is the definitive memoir. I just feel like the word memoir is more definitive than what I'm doing, um, which I'm saying it, I understand is not correct now, but it's just kind of a feeling I can't shake. Right. And I'll also be sure not to call you a graphic novelist. Do you still take umbrage with that, with the term graphic novel? I just think that cartoonist is more fitting. I understand the graphic novel is its own 
genre, but I also, I know it's confusing to older people. I'm thinking of my parents. <laughs> Um, right. but for also that sort of phrasing did get my mom to consider it more seriously. Cause when you tell, when you tell somebody who doesn't understand comics at all, that you make comics, they think that you do like Sunday funny comics, uh, like Marmaduke. But when you tell someone that you make graphic novels, they think that you're legit and maybe making an actual book. So I understand why people use that word. Uh, but I just like, Again, it kind of circles back to not taking things so seriously. I like saying I'm a cartoonist who makes comics. It just feels more fitting. I'm just, I'm just sort of running it through my head. Like, you can't say cartoons. It just doesn't make sense to the general public. I, none of the words work. Or if I, I say, like, a lot of people think comics. Also, like, they say, immediately think stand-up comedy, which is a totally different world. Like, I, right. I get it. Or Wonder Woman or whatever. Yeah. I'm fine with people using whatever term they want i'm just saying i i like saying cartoonist not a big fan of big publishers are you i have one now so i should probably say that i love them and they're wonderful <laughs> up until I the one you have love now my current one hmm? well what what do you love about them that you didn't like about them earlier i love the one i have now um which is black dog and leventhal because they nice. let me really just sort of do what i want to the extent um i don't think they trusted me fully at first when they signed with me because they hadn't worked with a lot of cartoonists um but it's sort of been a relationship where we've both grown where they've under came to understand comics more and i've come to understand the industry more but when i was struggling with big publishers was during the time that a whole bunch of cartoonists myself included got these big publishing deals and i used the word big very loosely they were not there was not big money, but to us it was big money because we mm -hmm. were coming from no money. Uh, we all kind of got swept up in this, and then the books didn't sell that well for big publishers because, of course, they didn't. They're comic books. Mm -hmm. And then the big publishers kind of turned on all of us. So when I submitted my next proposal, they were like, this is not marketable, and we're not going to put this book out. And then a, the small comics presses were like, this is wonderful. Of course we'll put this out. We don't care if it's not marketable. We're not aiming for a big market. So it was more about their willingness to let cartoonists do what they want versus trying to fit us all into um, the literature box of like your story has to have a very clear beginning, middle and an end if it's going to be marketable. If it doesn't have that, then we're not interested. Black Dog and Leventhal, why is that ringing a bell? Is, is, did, are you working with Francis Su Ping Chow? No, I'm, I don't think I am. Okay. Yeah, because she might be like... She might be focusing on other formats or whatever, other imprints. Yeah. Whatever, I mean, there's whatever. so many umbrellas and imprints. Oh, yeah. I know they're all under Hachette, which is why, even though Black Dog is like, yeah, one of the imprints, I'm still subjected to all the same things that like a, a big press would. But because they're an imprint, they're still a little bit more gentle <laughs> on me. <laughs> if you find value in this podcast, please consider supporting it as a patron. Your support will help me keep the podcast on its weekly schedule. Patrons receive perks including a reusable 10% off discount code, access to dozens of patron-only episodes, opportunities to provide questions for guests, a soft enamel pin with our logo designed by me, and more. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. And now, back to our conversation. Can I ask a, a kind of a nuts and bolts question about graphic novels? 
is there a certain sales number? Is there a certain, you know, oh gosh, it would be great if this book sells X number of units that either your current publisher or you set as a goal, you know, cause I feel like, you know, a lot of illustrators, you know, everyone wants to, whoever wants to get their work published, the exact number of the, the number of books that have to sell for it to be deemed a successful book can vary from publisher to publisher, obviously, but it's, it's a little vague. Like, what, what does that even mean? A thousand, 10,000? I mean, it's still so vague, even having worked with small and large press. I still talk about with my cartoonist friends all the time. I'm like, why do we not know the numbers? Like, why do none of yeah. us have a good handle on the numbers? The best I can think is actually you said two of them. So if you if you do a book with a big press, if you can sell 10,000 copies, that's great. That's a mm -hmm. solid sale for them. They're very happy with that. Mm -hmm. If you do one with a small press and you sell a thousand, that's great. They're very happy and you're doing well. My problem was when I was doing the big press was I wasn't getting that 10,000 right away and I was selling more than a thousand. So it had been great for a small press, but it was bad for a big press. And I still feel like comics kind of walk that line, even when you're with a big press, because I get a lot of good, like I, my stuff is covered favorably. Mm -hmm and in big outlets, but the numbers don't, the sales numbers don't always match that. Like if I had put out a traditional all text book, like a regular literature book, mm -hmm. you know, a regular literature book, that's definitely a <laughs> yeah, thing that people that's... say in the book world. <laughs> I saw that category. I saw that uh, section at Barnes and Noble the other, the other day, regular yeah, literature well, books. There, there's words in this book. No pictures. <laughs> Books um, with words. Uh, that'll be over there uh, upstairs, sir, on the left. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So if I had put one of those books out and it got the same coverage that my comics did, but sold at the same low number, they would not do another book with me. But because it's a comic book and it's not expected to sell that well, and the press is so good that that's a real thrill for the publisher, they keep putting out my books despite probably losing money. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they were just waiting for that one big hit or waiting for um, one of the books to become a movie or something. Because now a lot of film studios are culling from comics and graphic novels and I think that all publishers are hoping to hoping for a fun home but there's only one fun home so I and it was funny I went in on the meeting and they were like oh we love your work they did the whole thing I thought they were just like blowing smoke up my ass but then it turned out the person in the room was familiar with my work so I was like great this got this one in the bag I'm finally going to get a tv show and then an hour later and they were like no <laughs> Gosh. We're not going to be doing a show. And I was like, like, wow, that turnaround was fast. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, like, could you have just waited a day? Couldn't you have just given me a day to dream? Yeah. HBO gave me the courtesy of like a week <laughs> before rejecting me. Give me some time. But it was like, no, on the car ride home. How many? They, like Netflix called and they said no. How many vacation houses and or cars were you looking at online in that one week before you heard from HBO? <laughs> um, I, 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 to be honest, I didn't think that anyone was going to give me the show but I was kind of like maybe you never know I had not moved to LA in my head or purchased anything fancy I just okay. kind of had a feeling you are a smarter wiser more practical person than I I would have absolutely selected the house I was going to buy I would have picked out the car I would have like called people I would have made it all because that's what I would do I, I set I set myself up this I do this all the time. I just like 
start thinking and daydreaming about something, I set myself up to this like unreal standard. And then when it doesn't happen the way I'm hoping it happens, then I, I basically set myself up with just a giant tumble and, uh, Probably not great for the mental health department, but, uh, you know. Yeah, so maybe it's self-preservation. Or counterpoint, I manifested failure by assuming it wouldn't work, and then it happened. Also, I have friends who work in L.A. and have their own animated shows, and they were like, don't go out, don't go out and buy anything. The money's really bad, which I was surprised to learn, but that's the reality of everything, it seems, as we've since learned since the, with the writer's strike. Right. Right. When it's like you see actors tweeting, here's a royalty check I got for like a super popular TV show and it's like 78 cents. Yeah. So, and yeah, even my friends at the top of the animation stuff were like, mm, why don't you just uh, hold your horses a little? Yeah. Are the titles for your books yours or suggestions by editors? They are all mine. Um, nice. And sometimes it has been a battle. They're good. Um, they're really good. The Tenements, Towers, and Trash, which I honestly think is my best title, was cr mostly crafted by my friend Sarah Glidden when we were tossing around different words. She put those ones all together, and I was like, oh, and it's an alliteration. I love it. Like, so that was all her. Yeah. Um, but the rest have been mine, and even my current editor and I have argued about the subtitle of some of my books. Like, she didn't like the subtitle of Impossible People, A Completely Average Recovery Story. Love that. Uh, she thought it was sort of underselling it, and I was like, that's the point. <laughs> but she has since come around to see that that was maybe the, a good move. I'm a little surprised that you haven't used It Could Be Words. <laughs> um, that's the words joke I've ever heard. Oh. Nice. I mean, your start, I wouldn't categorize as normal. I don't know if that's <laughs> like... I wouldn't recommend. And I was like, I wouldn't either. I, well, I wouldn't... Yeah, I kind of wouldn't recommend that either. Do you have advice for uh, people like who, who want to get into doing comics, being a cartoonist, getting into the graphic novel world? I struggle with this answer because, like you said, the way I got into it wasn't the wasn't the, the typical path of getting into comics. Um, but a lot there were certain things I did that were very typical, like printing out the zines and sharing them and giving them to people. Um, I would always recommend to someone starting out to not immediately put work behind a paywall. You have to give your audience or in the internet a certain amount of work for free. And then you can kind of start, you know, then you can put up the Patreon. But if your work is behind, if you, I hate saying that because I don't think anyone should work for free. But you, everyone kind of has to prove themselves to some extent. So there has to be enough free content online for people to access it and see what your voice is, see what your work looks like. Then they can decide if they want to buy a book or if they want to join Patreon or whatever they want to do to financially support it. And also a, a mistake I see a lot of young cartoonists making is immediately making work that is it's too easily accessible. Like it's too palatable for a very broad audience and you don't know where their voice is in there. It's sort mm -hmm. of like, yeah, anyone can make this comic. It's so relatable that it's too relatable. Right. Um, and unfortunately a lot of those people have gone on to be way more successful than I am. So maybe this is bad advice, but my personal favorite work is very relatable, broadly appealing, but their voice is very clear and very much theirs and it's not just like an amalgamation of all the comics together if that makes sense it does i agree like 
not a great idea to work for free. But sort of like the Baskin Robbins model, like give away a little bit of ice cream. Mm -hmm. Hope that they like what you're giving out and then they'll come in for more. Yeah. That's how you build a community. That's how you build a fan base. Yeah. And in what industry really do you immediately get to be like, I finished school and now you must pay me all the money immediately. Like that's just not how anything works. <laughs> like right. You have to do internships. You have to write a spec script. You have to do a bunch of stuff for free before you actually get the money. We're just saying don't like launch into a full career for free. <laughs> right. Do you, have you ever thought that, you know what, this isn't working for me. I need to, I might need to, change gears entirely uh absolutely i quit comics completely for two years in let's see i want to say 2013 to 2015 and spent two years exploring abandoned buildings all over the united states taking photos of them yes and doing a lot of research um, a lot of writing about the history but no drawings and no comics so yeah i walked away for a bit why frustration uh, i mean it, it happened when i really quit drinking my schedule was kind of messed up and i didn't it was hard to sit down and work and i was like i don't think i actually even want to do this because i can't sit down um i've described it before as like almost an extreme adhd like overnight i was like i can't sit at my desk i don't know what to do i have to leave i have to go out into the world and do things and i discovered urban exploring and i just threw myself into it and it was very physical um, I wasn't home very much. It was mm. complete opposite of what I've been doing, which was just sitting at home at my desk for 16 hours a day for years. So I like really turned my back on it. And then I eventually got back into it because I missed it. Um, I think I just needed an extreme break mm. and to do something that was completely the opposite of what I've been doing. I don't think I've ever really touched on that point. You know, most of the episodes are about like, here's how you can become a practicing illustrator and here's how other practicing illustrators did it. But we never really touch on like, sometimes you need to just stop. Oh, quitting. I'm a big proponent of quitting. <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling my friends the other day, like I've been, I hate jogging and every time I go, I just, I dread it and uh, I hate it. So I never do it. Me neither. Um, but I, then I feel bad about not doing it. But Same. eventually I was like, you know what? I quit. I'm not going to jog. I'm just going to go for a walk. And then I take a walk like every day because quitting's great. <laughs> <laughs> like if something's making you miserable, just don't do it. Um, and right. yeah, comics was for a minute making me miserable and I just quit. However, of course there are bills to be paid. You can't quit and like have somebody else support you. Like that's not quitting. That's just um, making somebody else work harder. So I don't, I'm not a proponent of that. You can only quit if you can pay your way through the quitting period. Which I feel like is a good reason why any creator, anyone listening who wants to be an illustrator or anything should also have other, like don't shut yourself off from other interests, whether that's whatever, photography or cooking or whatever it is, you know, be curious about multiple things because one of those things might actually abandon you that mm -hmm. it might not work it might cause you so much frustration and so much hurt that the correct healthy thing to do is to stop doing it 
Also, just on a pragmatic point of view, you have to have a backup in case something happens. Like, in case there's an accident and you lose some appendages or something, like you, and you were an illustrator, like, you better have something else in your back pocket. Otherwise, what are you going to do? I was worried for a while that the urban exploring was sort of for naught, except there were ways to pay the bills during that time. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm collecting all this re- this information, doing all this research, writing all these things, taking all these photos. And for why? I'm just going to, you know, I just went back to comics and I had to shelve all that. So was that two years lost? And I thought that that was true for a while. But then I've started working on some stuff again in a different f- format, um, sort of separate from comics. And I was like, oh, I can do different kinds of creative work it doesn't necessarily have to be comics Mm -hmm. and that's what i'm going to start working on in about a year when i'm done with my other book so it's everything comes back like nothing is pointless well said why abandoned buildings um because it's fun (laughs) i mean it is fun but there's there's something i don't know is there do they stand in for something else because they are abandoned buildings they are. So for me, it was first, it was just the thrill of it, right? You know, this yeah. the most adolescent thrill. You're not supposed to be there. The cops might catch you, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then I got really into the history, very specifically, the like the history of the development and treatment of mental illness in America in the last 200 years. And I was going to a lot of these asylums and it was sort of like, you know, you, you can read a lot about history and then maybe go to a museum if you're lucky to live close to one. But I could read that history and then go into the actual place where all of this stuff was still left behind and mm-hmm. not curated and cleaned up like a museum. It's exactly how it was when it was active. Um, and there was something just so exhilarating about that uh, and yeah. unique. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do urban exploring, but that it's a very unique experience. And I, I just got addicted to that uniqueness and not knowing what you're going to find and not knowing what's going to happen that weekend. It was just adventure. Like it's just high adventure. And I was in. (laughs) That brings to mind my, my wife and I are, um, I know we're incredibly late on this, but we're finally um, watching the queen's gambit. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're like really late on this and uh, first couple episodes. And it's just interesting to see how from a mental health standpoint, like her adoptive mom um, is taking these pills, these pills that she also takes, and it's tranquility pills. <laughs> uh, and one of the greatest lines so far, so far, we're like only on episode three or four, is the mom saying, my tranquility needs refurbishment. <laughs> I just love that. And it just brings to mind, like that coupled with what you're saying brings to mind, like all of these techniques, let's call them methods with which mental health was treated in the 1950s, let's say, um, compared to now. Thank goodness things are better. Mm. <laughs> no? Once you really dive into the history of mental illness and its treatments, you come to understand that we are very much at the beginning still. It is better. We're not still lobotomizing people, right. but we are, we are in a different way. <laughs> TikTok. It's not as, yeah. <laughs> it's really, um, it, it, I mean, not to be a bummer, but it's actually pretty horrifying. We have not come very far at all, except we've stopped just outright torturing people in basements, but we still don't know what's going on. We still don't know why people are crazy. And we do a lot of stuff in the name of trying to figure out why um, that is not helpful. Um, however, there are a lot of people who have 
hugely benefited from modern treatments. So I'm not going to deny that. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's almost less about the treatments. It's just like the development of mental. This is all. This is a whole. This is the tangent you didn't want me to go on. No, I, I, let's. I are you kidding? This is, mental health is something that's incredibly important to me for a lot of very personal reasons. And so, yeah, no, this is a topic I'm very happy to talk to you about. I just I read a lot of books about the development of mental illness in America versus other countries and the way we view it and treat people with it and the it's just it's getting worse and really? we don't know why and is it the microplastics is it you know is it society yeah we don't know what it is is it just cuz our whole world is so fucking toxic or is it the way we're all being raised poorly or we're isolated. There's so many reasons, but it is just all getting so much worse and it's fascinating. It's all of it, all mm-hmm. the above. But when you read the back of um, a bottle for antidepressants, you know, it says in fine print, we don't know how this works, which is most of all medicine. They don't really know how it just does. But mm-hmm. that's great. That's wild. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then every year, something, you know, everyone was for a long time, the whole, um, the whole thinking about, um, uh, mental illness was it was a chemical imbalance based on serotonin levels. And they actually disproved that a few years ago and not no one, like no one's talking about that. It's like, what? That was the whole thing for a long time. Right. I remember and now that. they're saying that's not true. Huh? So it's all of the above. I just, man. We don't know. We don't know anything. We're still at the beginning at a time when it's also increasing. So it's just, it's, it's I'm very fascinated by it and how other countries treat it. Um, much more successfully as well. Well, at the very least, saying you're going to see a therapist now versus even just like 10 years ago or 20 years ago is far more accepted and normal yeah. than than it was. People oh, are yeah, less the ashamed of it. around mental health is so much better. Yeah, you can go see a therapist. You can be on medication and you can say all these things openly without judgment or losing your job for the most part. And that's wonderful. Like the more we talk about it, the easier it's gonna be to deal with. Right. But we still just don't know what's going on in there. Would you say, so I was I was um, pretty severely depressed for a few years, which I won't get into the details for this conversation because again, weeds, but I mean, it was bad. It was real bad. That's all I'm gonna say about that. People can use their imaginations about how bad it was. <laughs> um, okay. Now it's good. But um, I wouldn't say it's totally gone. I'd say like when it was bad, it was something like 90% of my thought process just set, felt felt like, I don't know if this was the reality, but felt like focused on negative thoughts and, you know, all the bad things. Now, 1%. But it's still kind of like, if it's a person, it's like in the back of the room, way back there, and it's not bothering anybody, but it's not leaving the house. It's not leaving. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And every now and then I look over and I'm like, oh, yeah, fucker's still over there. <laughs> yeah, but don't you think that's – I identify 100% with that. Um, and sometimes it's even you know more than 1%. It's just it's the shadow that's always there. But that's right. the more honest way to live. If someone was 100% – cured quote unquote and never had the dark thoughts i don't think that's living in reality because we live in a super fucked up world and if you're not having dark thoughts or like and nothing is happening to you 
which means you probably don't have a lot of people in your life. Like stuff is dark and bad a lot. And if that doesn't bum you out, then I don't, I don't know what kind of universe like you're living. That's not normal. When I visit the shadow person, I guess for a lot of um, that it feels very honest. It's like, okay, this is, these are some dark thoughts. I'm, it's okay to sit with as long as I don't let them envelop me and become the 90% again. But I think it's a more balanced way to live. If you're 100, percent yeah, you're not living in reality. Yeah, and God bless. That sounds wonderful. I know, doesn't it? Jesus. Yeah, I would love to be that idiot. That sounds amazing. I I think, and not to minimize it all down to like into like put it into a little uh, little acorn cap or something, but it's oh cute. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's it's social media, man. It's social media. It it is our like how connected we are to everything and how we learn about everything all the time, all the bad news and how people treat other people on social media, how we just treat each other. It's all the anger. It's all the uncertainty. It's everything. And we are tapped into it. It is like it's there's a there's a tube from that into our minds. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like that. Obviously, when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s, it wasn't like we weren't as aware. And for and there's just some good things that are happening, too. Like we're now more aware of so, like societal injustices and things like that. Like back back then, maybe we weren't as aware of what was going on in every single city at all times. But it just feels like we're just more connected to all of the bad news all the time. And on top of that, we yeah. have our own shit to carry. And now we got to carry all this other shit. Yeah. And then when you're carrying all that shit too, and you look on social media and someone's like, this is my perfect life, even though you know it's not true, you're like, ugh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's the, it's the over information. Like it's, I'm glad it's, it's a double-sided sword, right? Like I think it's great to have all the information about what's going on in the world, especially if you're trying to make better decisions about how to live your life more Agreed. socially responsibly. On the flip side, it's so overwhelming because there's so much bad stuff out there that it's, with too much for like the singular human brain to carry all there that information go. without completely falling apart, which is sort of hearkening back to what I was saying earlier. If you're hundred percent happy, then you're not living in this reality. Right. But yeah, it can just be too much in the way that social media does it so rapidly. I think that's what does the most damage is it's so, so much information so fast mm-hmm. that your brain is processing too quickly like it's not really so it's almost like it's just picking up on the feeling of it so this post feels bad so now you feel bad this post is happy so you're happy for a minute but the post after that is bad and now you feel bad again right. and it's like you're not cap- we're not capable of just taking it in on a surface level it's like right. internalized in a way we're not prepared for because we didn't grow up with this either it was something new and introduced to us exactly and i think the the younger generations i hope will be able to deal with it better because of that because they have some warning yeah and if i were to finish that pattern it's like you see a post that's good you feel good for a moment you see a post that's bad you feel bad good you feel good bad you feel bad bad you feel bad good you still feel bad because now you're (laughs) jealous of the good and then it's just bad 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 bad. and then you have to yeah put your phone down shut off your computer go the fuck outside and yeah, it's like breath. three bads make a fourth bad, even if it should be a good. There you go. <laughs> that's that's the formula exactly. We figured yeah, it out. Eventually, yeah, it's all 
toxic. Um, I'm pretty good at stepping away from it. And I think that uh, that has probably saved my sanity. When things are complicated in real life, too, some people dive further into social media to distract themselves. But I, I step away because it's too much. And I think that that's been um, good advice. like a godsend. I'm on Instagram, I post, but I don't scroll a lot because then, then I get the bad, bad, bad. <laughs> and it's too much. Yeah, so that's the formula, guys. If any people listening, like if you're scrolling through social media and you see what like bad and a second bad, put it down before the third bad because then if you hit the third bad, then the fourth and fifth and sixth posts yeah. are just gonna be bad. Or just two bads in a row and turn your phone off. There you go. <laughs> and go outside. Oh my gosh. Um, see, that's see that's the kind of tangent I like going on because I think that is incredibly important. Folding it all the way back to illustration, we can't be illustrators. And not have to think about all of that. That is all part of it. And that's what makes it so hard because illustration is already hard. On top of that, life is hard. So if people listening are having a really tough time of it, there's a really good chance it's not because of you. It's not your fault. It's hard. You just have to keep pushing through. Yeah. Even Yeah. There's like really no way around it, especially in the modern world. But Right. Or quit for a minute. And come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> or for two years. <laughs> or for two years. Take some photographs of buildings. Yeah. If you want to spend two years wandering through flooded tunnels and abandoned asylums, you should do it. I recommend it. We do have some folks listening. Would you have a piece of advice or one last thought, something that you'd like to leave them with from you to them? Yes, I feel like I say this every time to illustrators and cartoonists, but it's probably the only thing I think that really matters is I always say, write for yourself and edit for an audience, which is not my phrasing. Like everybody, all like the how-to books say this, like do your first draft just for you. Don't think about who's going to be reading it or how they're going to be perceiving it or if they're going to like it or hate it. Do it just for you. And then when you're all done, edit it with those thoughts in mind. But if you write the first draft thinking about the audience, you're not going to write a good first draft. To learn more about Julia, visit juliawords.com. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit illustrationdept.com for class offerings like mentorships and portfolio reviews, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, our merchandise, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.